0: It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future.
1: Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show and to the new year. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my forever co-host Rodney Evans.
1: Happy 21, everybody!
0: Here we are on today's episode. We're going to talk about everything. We decided we're just gonna we're gonna cover the gamut of all the things that are going on in the world right now, how they're making us feel, what we think we can do about them, and try to make some sense. But before we do that. This seems like as good a time as ever (laughs) to check in and see what's going on with us.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk more about this in the app, but uh, if you are wondering what to do at work these days while the world is a strange and often frightening place, one great thing you can do is a check-in round to just give everybody a second to at the very least say out loud whether they're distracted by what they're seeing on the news or whether they are fully present or whether they're worried about something significant. So we're going to start with a light and breezy check-in round because, you know, I, I suspect the rest of this app might not be so breezy. <laughs> keep it light. So we'll just keep it light for now. Uh, our check-in round question for today is what was something awesome about your holiday break? We were off for a full two weeks, which was glorious. So what's something great that happened?
0: Well, For me, I guess it was probably just walks with the family. We had kind of lost that pattern with school and work in the Mm -hmm. late fall, early winter. And suddenly we were all sitting around with very little to do. And so we started getting on the walk kick again with the dog. And it's just nice to walk around the park and look at the air. Sometimes I'll go out and do that and realize it's the only time I've been outside in 24 hours. Nice. And yeah, so that was very, very lovely and refreshing. There were lots of other wonderful things, but I think the walks are what I loved best.
1: That is lovely. Nature is healing. I had such a fun break and I did no work and I only did fun things and there were a million <laughs> great moments. But one of my favorite was that one, I guess Christmas Eve, while Ed was cooking, my mom and I played music, which we haven't done in a long time. So, when I was growing up until I got very advanced, my mom was my accompanist when I played the cello very seriously as a kid, and she was my piano accompanist. And then until we had to hire professional ones, and I just, my mom and I have played music together on and off since I was like four years old. And on Christmas Eve, we played Christmas carols. We broke out the Beatles songbook. I alternated between the ukulele and the cello. She played oh my piano. God. It was like a whole, it was a whole sing-along situation in front of the Christmas tree, which felt really fun and very cozy.
0: There's nothing cuter than a family band.
1: <laughs> the tiniest all-girl family duo. Yeah, yeah that's it us. Feels
0: like, it feels like 90s TV, like some kind of a talent search.
1: Yeah, the cutest pairing is when she plays the accordion and I play the ukulele.
0: That's really fun But
1: she didn't have the accordion at the lake house.
0: (laughs) I would like video of that, and I think our listeners would too. (laughs) We'll see. Okay, so today's topic, this is a list. I actually made this list carefully, and I actually forgot one that I'll tell you about in a second. So today's topic is navigating this moment, a.k.a. a new year, a new administration, an attempted coup, unchecked polarization, social media off the rails, Bitcoin completely off the rails and a pandemic. And so everybody's thinking, let's get back to work. Right. That's kind of the moment that yeah. we're wrapping our arms around. And when I wrote that list, I actually forgot to write pandemic in it.
1: Uh-huh. Sure. And then I was
0: like, there's something else. What is it? There's I can't something I'm put missing. put my finger on it. Oh, what right. am I missing? Oh, a once in a century pandemic.
1: Yeah. That's right. Oh, right. We're out of hospital beds. <laughs> forgot about that part.
0: So I added that to the list as well. And I guess I just want to start by asking you, given all of that, what matters right now? Like, how do I even know what to care about, what to think about, what to focus on? What matters?
1: Yeah, I I have no idea. All of it, none of it, coping. I will only talk as a human being who is also trying to navigate what feels like a sort of unbelievable situation and confluence of events to be living through. And the way that I am trying to do that is by taking reasonably good care of myself and paying close attention to the things that are coming up for me in terms of my own disbelief and whether that is a trapping of my privilege my own fear about the future and whether that is a trapping of anxiety, my own ability to like make sense of this and whether that's rationalization or whether that's just humanity, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to be in the present of what is happening rather than avoid it or medicate through it or argue about it. I'm trying to just like be in it and deal Mm -hmm. with the feelings that it, brings up. And I don't know that that's what matters, but like at the moment, all of it matters so much that that's the right. part that I feel like I can control is like, I can control my own ability to not look away from it and mm-hmm. to sit and be present with the moment that we're in and what led us here.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I I mean, I would like to do more of that. I think what I'm doing right now is rather than constantly sitting with the pain of it, I keep zooming back out to my system's lens and being like let's pull away emotionally for a second and just look at this as a problem space mm-hmm. and talk about what do you do like if mm-hmm. this is your puzzle if someone's like i put a puzzle before you and here it is racism pandemic you know overthrow the government you got like what do you do yes and and it and that entertains me and makes me feel somehow safe or in control or salved to be like I'm going to think about how to solve this at a systems level rather than how to be in it. So that's, that's where I've been retreating to.
1: Well, and what's interesting is, and I don't want to totally chalk this up to like feminine and masculine orientation. Cause I don't know that that's entirely true, but I had <laughs> don't a want various... to be
0: the archetypes of those yeah. <laughs> ideals.
1: I mean, ideally not, but it's funny. Cause I had a very similar conversation with Ed this morning, like where his position was very similar to yours. And my like strong argument particularly as we talk about everything that's happening right now being rooted in racism and white supremacy ultimately like it is ultimately at, at the very at the in the basement of all of the problems in the building i have this suspicion that the orientation toward what are we going to do about it is in in itself avoidant because it's like if we can't sit in it first, if we can't sit in the mess and our feelings about the mess, like, is action really possible? I Like, I don't know. I just, I have this feeling because as soon as we get into the conversation about action, we very quickly run into all of the stumbling blocks of where to begin and how to begin and what could we even do, et cetera, et cetera. And sure. then I feel like that often leads us to like sort of throwing our hands up. Yeah, which isn't, I'm, I'm hoping that in the course of this conversation, we find some things that we can actually do. But in this moment, I'm I'm trying in my own house to separate the idea that we can look at in a clear-eyed way what the truth of this moment is and why it makes us uncomfortable, and that our inability to do something about it right now in this second doesn't have to impact that. Like. Our awareness of it and our ability to solve it can right now be separate. And we can sit in the truth of the mess that we're in, even if we don't know what to do about it. And that might be more helpful.
0: I certainly think we can't take action until we have a somatic understanding of what is going on and have like sat with it and been with it. I agree with you on that. I also think, though, that it's hard to sit with it without hope.
1: So and hard. I think a lot of people
0: who are searching for what to do at a systems level are searching for signs of hope. Of course. Right? Like of course. What, <laughs> what Jenga piece can I pull out that will topple this thing? <laughs> if I can't find one, I'm not sure I can just be with it.
1: Of course. Well, and by nature, the brains in our heads are wired to solve problems. It is what totally. has motivated and created all of human evolution. And so it's very understandable that in this moment, most people in media and other places are like, but what to do? And <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think with a lack of awareness, it is hard to know. So I don't know. That's my long-winded conversation about what matters. How, how are you thinking similarly or differently about that?
0: No, I I agree. I think my intellectual agreement doesn't necessarily match my mental habits right now, but I I think we're both right in the sense that I think there needs to be a lot more sitting with reality and the layers of this and the feelings of it and just understanding it emotionally and intuitively. And I think there needs to be cause for hope in order for people to kind of keep going, particularly Mm -hmm. people that are less privileged than us. I mean, Mm -hmm. totally. whatever we're feeling... Multiply that by 10 for other people in other situations, right? Totally. So there. I think that we need both right now. And and honestly, it just comes back to a theme that comes up over and over on the show, which is we need to acknowledge and understand the nature of complexity in order to engage with this correctly.
1: Yes. <laughs> you know? So let's go there first, because to me, there is a lack of understanding of systemic thinking in this moment.
0: Totally. I mean, you can tell just by flipping on the news or by looking at social media, everyone is looking for a cause and effect relationship between the actions and outcomes of this year. Yeah. Like, it is, everybody's just like, this is Trump's fault. No, it's not. The Dems did this. No, they didn't. The, you know, the, the pandemic isn't going well because of X. Everything is always an X to Y, one to the other, binary relationship. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's easier to go down, right? That is an easier soundbite to process than there are 16 different agents that are interdependently vectoring on each other and creating this emergent outcome. Like nobody wants to read that news article. That's a terrible headline. So I, I just think that our lesser angels want simplicity and clarity and easy to spread arguments. And this is exacerbated by the things that are prioritized by algorithms and social media, right? Like it's all connected and it all stems from, you know, it's funny, you were talking about racism being at the root of all this. I would add one more thing, which is kind of our growth at all costs, unchecked capitalism is also part of that. And in and of itself, it has some some racism in it. But this idea that like, we need the news media to grow and we need it to get more views and we need it to get, you know, more velocity in culture leads to, well, we can't talk about complexity because that's not going to sell newspapers and that's not going to get clicks. So instead we have to talk about the dumbed down version. And I just, I mean, I look at everything that's going on and I'm like, wow, it's quite an elaborate dance actually that's going on. Mm. So many different forces doing little things that in aggregate add up to something. And you Mm -hmm. could see it on the faces of some of the Republican senators and, and Congress people last night when they, you could just see during and after the siege, this awareness that like, when I supported that statement, when I didn't speak out, when we did X, when we said Y, when we didn't do whatever it was, we like put in motion the mousetrap, remember that board game? Like the yeah. mousetrap outcome of this, except it wasn't that linear, right? It was all this interconnection. And so, I don't know, I just felt like I saw a lot of dumbfounded kind of Oppenheimer after the A-bomb faces that were just like, what hath we wrought?
1: Yes, yes. I, I think that's exactly right. And to me, one of the things that is hopeful is that I believe that a lot of actors who have outsized systemic influence have not had to live with the consequences of their actions in right. in the way that hiding under your chair in the chamber is really living <laughs> it really with brings the action. R- yeah, roast. it really like, yeah. you know, a lot of people in that chamber who, you know, were reaping what they had sown last night are not people who generally have to face armed constituents who are angry. Right. And right. And, and it's not that I wish violence upon those people, but I am like, this is what you asked for in many right. ways implicitly and in many instances explicitly, and this is what that really means. This is what that really feels like when you tell people that they don't have to follow governing rules or law and order or expectations or social norms or – the constitution or anything else, this is what happens. And it looks a lot like Venezuela and it's not unprecedented. This has happened all over the world for centuries. And here it is, like here's the reality of this situation. And I think, um, you know, to your point about just complexity thinking in any of the spots that you just talked about, whether we're talking about media or we're talking about political systems, or we're talking about, you know, local or or grassroots organizations. There's no closed system here. Right. Not one of these things has a bright line around it. It's like, what constitutes media? A dude with an iPhone, a blogger with a following, CNN, <laughs> who can say? What right. constitutes a an organization? People with a flag, people with a mission, people when there's more than six, Who can say this is like, this is the feeling of living in complexity is that there is no really articulated boundary around any of the systems that are interacting right now, which is why it's, it's, it's unpredictable.
0: Absolutely. And in in some cases, it breaks to chaos. You know, what was happening actually at the Capitol was no longer in the complexity space, we'd actually breached chaos. Mm -hmm. And we kind of put the genie back in the bottle overnight, but we're still sitting in this moment. And I just feel like if you'd rolled the clock back five years, or 10 years, and talked to some of the people involved about what would happen, they'd just be like, nah, yeah, like, that's not gonna happen. You know, we're not gonna believe that people posting about what they ate for lunch is going to drive polarization that literally tears the country apart. Like, that's, that's crazy, right? That institution is too robust for that to happen. No, it's not. You know? And, and I think that's the point. And what's funny is a lot of the things that have led to this have been driven by deep desires for wealth, for scale, for impact, for power. But there haven't been as many experiments in the opposite direction. There haven't mm. been as many things where we're like, what happens if we try this X, Y, or Z that we think is aligned with a different set of principles or a different mm-hmm. set of values? What If we nudge the system in the other direction, what do we learn? I just feel like the only experiments have been like, what happens if people try to get more?
1: Right. The only constraint around the system is like, are the principles of extractive capitalism <laughs> being fed? No, right. we don't want it.
0: <laughs> and it's like
1: in any of the if in in any of the domains that we're talking about, you know, in social media, one of the great principled aspects of social media is transparency. Right. Should we have no constraint around hate speech? Probably not. Like we are one of the only countries that is freedom of speech regardless of anything. Like right. there, there are ways to constrain these systems to your point in a different direction than has been chosen.
0: So a hundred percent. And I think in some ways, now that you're talking about constraints, I want to hit two other things that have played a role here. One is, so we've talked about you know, kind of just emergence from motivations and from social media. There's also just the role of agreements. So going totally. back to things we've talked about on the show, the the agreements, both implicit and explicit, that the country runs on are not good enough. I mean, full stop, right? Like we we don't have clear enough agreements about how certain processes are meant to happen, what is fair and not fair. And it's really hard to make agreements that everybody uh, you know, can, can live with when we don't understand the impact of those agreements on complexity or we don't understand the nature of truth and mm-hmm. what is real. I mean, mm-hmm. you literally had people in the Capitol last night arguing that the policy in Pennsylvania had stolen an election that their own party had created, proposed, and voted for almost unanimously. Mm-hmm. When you can't live in a world with agreements like that, like when that's right. the level of of hypocrisy present in the system, I mean, imagine if that happened at the ready. If you proposed a, an agreement about how we were going to do something and then you yourself <laughs> took umbrage with that own proposal and freaked out and tried to tear the place down. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: it, it, is. it is. It is wild. And the the pattern that's been on loop that I find very interesting And is one, frankly, that I've seen in the upper levels of companies, so it's not totally (laughs) shocking to me, is this narrative of the people don't trust in the results of this election, and so Mm -hmm. I, representative, have a duty to dig into that. It's not that I don't believe in it.
0: Right, it's right, not that right.
1: I it's that there is suspicion and I'm like by you continuing to investigate the suspicion though you are the cause of the suspicion <laughs> because you are the person who's saying to your constituents, "Yeah, that sounds right. Let me go check that out and file a lawsuit and go on national TV to talk about it." And so yeah. you you cannot be a power holder in any system and absolve yourself of the responsibility you have in creating and shaping a narrative.
0: Totally. Totally. Well, and I think coming back to agreements, like the agreement that a power holder can retain power over time and has to actually re-up and re-get the support of a constituency over and over ad nauseum, what does that reap? Well, it reaps a lot of, you know, cronyism and bending over backward to make the people that are supposed to elect you happy. And you could just see the disingenuous kind of Emotional state of some of these people that were arguing in favor of the objections, being like, "I, this, I have to do this performance so right. that I can keep my job."
1: Right. Totally. I've seen
0: that in businesses before too. Of it's
1: course. It's just
0: like I'm gonna, I'm it's gonna like, say this thing to yep. keep my job, yeah. and and I just feel like when we're talking about something like government and not a business where you know keeping the job is not an issue of someone's food security, right? No, no ex senator has a problem putting food on the table. Sure. I think think that that's just broken. And that's the sort of thing that I think is really driving me crazy in this moment is any rational person can just look at the polarization algorithms in social media, look at the term limits on senators, Mm -hmm. and just be like, yeah, none of that passes a sniff test. Mm -hmm. Like, none of that is smart. If I were designing from scratch today, I wouldn't do any of that shit. And yet.
1: And yet. Here we are. And, you know, this to me also becomes, if we're talking about agreements, we can't ignore that the foundational governance record that we are still trying to live by and contort ourselves to <laughs> utilize is a document that was created before there were cars. Yes, So, like long before there were
0: cars,
1: (laughs) the framers did a dope ass job considering what the state of America was Mm -hmm. when they created the Constitution. Sure. The fact that at this point, that is still that document, there is no way to evolve a document that is created in such a wildly different context that to me it is not different than dragging that thing to Mars and being like mm-hmm. this should work here. Yep. It's like if we talk about agreements and and we talk about, you know, something like the electoral college, how do we not have any system in place to evolve our foundational doctrine?
0: Well, and the problem is we do have a system in place for evolving it. It's absolutely dysfunctional. There's no conceivable way that it does anything interesting from here on out. And so I do, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, one of the learnings that we can take from the experiment of of the United States of America and founders, you know, pull up your chair and listen closely is you can miss key things in the foundational agreements of your company that later on become absolutely fundamentally destabilizing. Yes. So it's fine to leave out something about, you know, X, Y, Z amendment, but missing the part where the spirit of the constitution and the spirit of the way we're supposed to operate was to be refreshed by each generation, which was spoken about regularly by many of the framers that it was each generation's duty to essentially tear up the rules and rewrite them. Yeah, that never got written down yeah, in a way was that became that? law. And yeah. so now we're living in a world where yeah, the the powerful and and frankly people that are, you know, in older generations are driving the bus and the next generation is beholden to that. And and it's a fatal flaw. So when I think about agreement making and I think about being a founder I'm super vigilant about what are the foundational things that if we don't get them now, could be the thing that kind of kills the forest Mm -hmm. later. And I don't know what they all are yet. I certainly don't have any sense of that. But I have this, you know, worry and this anxiety of like, that's the kind of stuff you have to watch out for. Because if you do build a system that lasts 200 years, it will for sure find every flaw in your logic and every missing piece.
1: And that's what we're watching right now. And if any foundational agreement, documentation, doctrine of any complex system fails to include the rule that is, this will need to change as the world changes, you're fucked. (laughs) And that's where we are. (laughs) 100%. Yeah.
0: 100%.
1: So yeah, I think what we are watching is the unfolding of Trying to live into explicit governed agreements that no longer serve our context, and then also the holding up and perpetuating of implicit agreements that should not exist, particularly around race. And so, you know, what I witnessed last night was a whole bunch of white people who believe that they are entitled to different treatment than anybody else in America. And they got it, for the most part. You know, the fact that there were 15 arrests made on the Capitol during an act of sedition, unlike anything we've ever seen in American history, I think tells us what we need to know about the implicit agreements we have in America around race.
0: Totally, totally. And it's like,
1: you can be a white guy who yells in the face of a federal officer and calls them a traitor and tells them they should be strung up, and you will be politely asked to move along.
0: 100%. There were so many sharp tweets yesterday encapsulating the hypocrisy of our system that were saying like, oh yeah, this person, this native person is being charged with 17 years for touching a shield. Here's a person from this protest, air quotes, literally holding one that they stole. They're not arrested. Right. You know, I I mean, just crazy, crazy differences in treatment. And the strongest point of view I heard was, We always talk about how we need to train police restraint.
1: (laughs) No, we don't. Turns out police actually know how to be quite restrained.
0: Yeah, not a problem at all. Even even in the face of thousands of people threatening them, completely restrained.
1: Thousands of armed (laughs) rioters waving Nazi flags.
0: So I do agree with you that, you know, racism on display is real. However, as I said before we started recording, I have another take on what happened that is a complexity friendly take that I want to run by you because I think it, it sort of sadly shapes the moment of what happened, which is this. I think people in power, in law enforcement, looked at that situation and said, escalation here is like a lit match in a gasoline storage facility. If we take the kind of action that we would normally take against other communities, what will happen will be way worse than the alternative. And I think there was actually a decision made, maybe implicitly, probably explicitly, to say, we will deal with the law enforcement consequences of this two weeks from now, because if we actually take action now, it will get way worse, way faster, and not just here, but in cities across America. That this group of people that was attacking the Capitol, they are looking for a sign that the government is seeking to exert power over them so that all that gun hoarding and all that preparing for the moment when they would finally get to stand up against the government would arrive. And I think, I believe that people were like, you know what? Don't play. It's just not worth it to engage in this moment.
1: I think that is 100% accurate. And the root of that is still racism. Totally. You know, like it, it just, it comes back to the same place, which is that in... Communities that are disproportionately biased against in our country, there is not tolerance and room and acceptance for uprising, and those communities generally don't hold the power to have a civil war because they are oppressed by The system and by the government, and there is nothing more white privileged than being able to march into the Capitol with an assault rifle and have law enforcement say, "We don't want these guys to start civil war, so we're going to just peacefully ask them to move along." I think you're a hundred percent right. I think it was a calculated risk that they took. In many ways, we are probably better off this week for it, and it has roots in the same thing. Because if those if, if those people weren't carrying Confederate flags, they would have been treated differently.
0: Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that in some ways this was the first year that we saw movements around race and around justice that were sizable enough and activated enough to even give pause to law enforcement in yeah. the same way. Yeah, you know, I th- I think that the two are are shape shifting to be more similar than not, and I think there are more of us that are activated in a way, but it, it's hard to treat crazy the same way you treat sane.
1: Absolutely. And I want people in terms of the clear eyed awareness to pay attention to the fact that you can behave like a crazy person in this country with no repercussions if you have white skin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is the system that we live in today. And one of the things that I noticed a lot, and I've, I've read a couple of pieces about this this morning is just is just how language shapes those moments and sure. you know the idea of like when do we call someone a rioter versus a protester when do right. we t- call someone a terrorist versus an activist when like it, these labels in these moments matter because as we try to make some sense of something that's emergent and and not i mean i think this was predicted it was explicitly called for. (laughs) It was planned. It was planned. It was planned and executed by the leader of the country. But I do think that the narrative and the language that we use around these things now and in the future has a really significant impact. And I think that that's often underestimated. Mm
0: -hmm. And as
1: I was watching this unfold, I was flipping back and forth between CNN and Fox News. And the difference in labels and languaging was startling. Yeah. Yeah. We were watching the same feed on both of these stations. We were literally watching the same events unfold. And the description of them looks wildly different.
0: I mean, language is an agreement.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right.
0: It's a clue into all the unseen stuff. And that's why it's so important and why I think the debates about language that sometimes feel like they're overindulgent on the left are still interesting which is just to say words have meaning words have power and we should talk about why we're using the words we're using
1: yes we should talk you know? about whether labeling things as fake news actually yeah. has you know consequences or repercussions yeah. i'd totally, say
0: totally. so i mean somebody 10 years from now is going to do their doctoral dissertation on the way language mapped to the events of The 2010s, right? Like the journey of language to create an environment and a a reality. Yeah. And it'll be stunning.
1: I've not thought about this until this moment, but in an environment where we are absolutely bombarded with information. I once read a statistic that said we consume 100 times more information now than we did in like 1987 or something per day. (laughs) per day, yeah. which is just amazing. But when when we're in that onslaught where a lot of nuance is lost and a lot of what we consume is much shorter format and right. more soundbitey, I think the words become even more important because we miss right. a lot of the finer points.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all being engineered to be soundbites. And therefore, whether it says protester or rioter or terrorist really matters.
1: Really matters. Because yeah. that's
0: all we've got to go with. It in. really matters. <laughs> yeah.
1: Objectors and insurgents. Are different things.
0: All right. So I want to wrap up today by reading a tweet to you and getting your reaction. Okay. This went around in the ready Slack yesterday. And the tweet says, a friend just said to me, are we supposed to be working during the coup? And honestly, it was the most American thing I've ever heard.
1: (sighs) Yeah. I know. It is it is wild and and yeah i was on a call yesterday while this was unfolding and i did a check in round where i said i am distracted by what is going on right now the news had just broken and the people on the call were largely like yeah it's wild anyway <laughs> what did you think of our meeting and i'm like oh oh okay so i think business as usual at this moment is inevitable and my ask of the people in the world who are pausing to say this is a unique moment in American history, in world history, and perhaps we could pause for a second, but don't know what that means or what to do, here are a couple of ideas for you. Yeah. <laughs> so in a lot of places, politics are not discussed at work you know by policy or by just implicit social norm or whatever, and I don't, I'm not going to take a strong position on whether that's the right thing or not. I see both sides actually of that argument very clearly. But what I will say is that right now, in this moment, people are being traumatized for a variety of reasons that are not expressly political. And that doesn't mean that we necessarily need to dive into those reasons and unpack and sense make as a group, particularly because people are having wildly divergent experiences and have very obviously polarized views on what's happening right now. But completely ignoring the fact that a lot of the people sitting next to you might be having a really difficult time right Mm -hmm. now because of what they're seeing on the screen, I think is irresponsible. And so what I would ask of people who have the agency to do so is at a minimum, at a minimum, acknowledge that shit is wild, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, shit is crazy, (laughs) and give people the flexibility to do for themselves what they need to do for themselves in this moment. And there are parents who are trying to explain to their kids what this means. And there are people who are trying to, you know, pack up their guns and get home from Washington right now. And there are a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of things right now. And I think our, our organizations at the very least can check in on how people are doing emotionally, provide space to have a discussion. If you feel safe to do that. And at the very least give people the flexibility And the empathy to know that like, not everybody can just be business as usual today, this moment. And we're recording this on Thursday, the day after the Capitol was uh, infiltrated. So I don't think in this time or really in any time it is reasonable or humane to just ignore what's going on around us. And, and if that's the only principle, if the only principle is be aware of it and be aware that people are going through some shit right now, that will set us on a better course than people being like, you were five minutes late for the 9 a.m. meeting. Have you stayed up all night doom scrolling?
0: Yeah. In some ways, it's a resounding case for self-management. Mm-hmm. which yes. I think really, you know, had an opportunity to shine yesterday that many of our listeners don't know this, but the ready is incubating something new. And the team over there was meant to have a, a meeting in the afternoon. And one of our team members just wrote in and was like, I don't think I can. Yeah. And everybody was like, cool, get it 100%. And a few of us got on anyway, to sort of go through the motions. And we ended up just talking about it. And after 30 minutes, we were like, yeah, we're not doing this. And we're not doing the next meeting either. And everybody mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. And what I keep going back to is by by keeping our heads down and our nose to the grindstone, what are we doing and what are we saying? What mm-hmm. is it like, what's really going on under the surface there with that instinct, that American instinct of like back to work, mm-hmm. nothing to see here.
1: Mm-hmm. In
0: the middle of literally having people inside our capital, mm-hmm. we're just like, yeah, well, yeah, there's a meeting about sales forecasts for Q1. <laughs> we better get to those. I, you know, what... I, What it tells me is that number one, we're more interested in maintaining the status quo than changing things. Mm -hmm. And number two, we use work as a salve for reality, as a way to distract ourselves and be focused on something that we can control and something we can excel in and something we can succeed in. And even the idea, the self-preservation idea of like, I'm going to get ahead so that I'm safe. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get ahead so that I'm secure. Mm-hmm. and so that you know so that work kind of feels like that and and obviously for people that get paid by the hour for people that are you know uh, insecure in some way economically they have to go to work they yeah. have to th- you know they want the meeting to happen but for the people who are in charge and who own those corporations shame on you that is not it's not the moment and i think the idea that we're somehow going to get more value out of that hour of work in the middle of something like what was going on yesterday, by just ignoring and keeping our heads down, that we're going to get anything valuable out of that, I think is is part of the grand delusion of working more hours equals more productivity and staying focused on work at the expense of all else in our lives, the whole lack of balance thing is just really brought to light there for me. So it does feel like the nice thing about self management is it says, hey, if you want to go be with your family, go be with your family. If you want to go watch the news, go watch the news. If you feel like the best distraction for you right now that would calm your anxiety is to do a little work on your own, do a little work on your own. There's no rule against that. Of But we shouldn't do it because it's rote. We shouldn't do it because it's habit, which is the macro theme of all Brave New Work content is don't inherit dumb shit. Don't do stuff because it's a habit. Don't do stuff because your boss did it. Do it intentionally. And I think that's really what I what I wish for everyone in this moment.
1: Well, that seems like a great place to wind up this windy and interesting (laughs) and somewhat chaotic discussion, uh, which is just a mirror on the, the experience that we're having right now, frankly. If you like what you're hearing, maybe like is a strong word for today. But if yeah. you appreciate or make use of what you're hearing, uh, we would love a review, a subscription, a download or a forward to somebody who needs to hear more like this.
0: And of course, as always, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready. Uh, you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at the dot com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something please.